0: Yeah, you have to clarify the pot comments and chocolate comments in Colorado, that's for sure right now. Okay, if you're a child who would like to go to Sunday school, stand up, walk slowly that way and get the world out of here. Now, we're going to Sunday school classes down there, third and fourth grade are over across the hall here, fifth and sixth grade back in the library, seventh and eighth graders actually middle schoolers, which we would not call you children, we know that or over next door at the doghouse that we affectionately call. And the rest of you are downstairs. Thank you, teachers, everybody who's a part of that process. This is always a good exodus. All right. There they go. That was fun. And, and yeah, uh, actually, as a completion of that process with Carol Carol Walliver, she will be here that Sunday morning, two weeks from now, and actually, have the whole service. She's gonna spin pots up here and talk to us and, and use that as some, a lesson. So, we just wanna let you know. Also, I bring greetings from our pastor, Senior Pastor Jim, who is in Mozambique. I've had very limited co- communication from him, but what I've heard has been the internet here is terrible. So, um, you know, that's, if that's his biggest problem, that's not so bad. I mean, that's, that's got, going pretty well. But he's been going there for several years. He'll be there all this next week, come home on Saturday, and then he'll be in here Sunday morning with us. And, uh, of course, we want to remember there's so many opportunities to remember people to pray for them right now. Uh, we have two of the most impacting hurricanes in our history that happen back-to-back within each other. That's an ongoing scenario. About they, between the two of them, they're thinking $275 billion, with a B, dollars worth of costs. And that that's just the economics, but that's a representative of the people who are affected by that, of course. And then we've got fires here in the West. We've got all kinds of things going on. So let's stop and pray. If you have something in your mind that you'd like to pray for specifically, you take that time right now. And I'll pray for Jim and for uh, those situations. Lord, we do come. This is an act of faith to talk with you. And we engage. We would like to learn and hear from you. We also would like for you to know what we're thinking and feeling. That's important. And uh, we pray on behalf of Jim, who is teaching pastors uh, things that they would never have access to without someone coming to them. Thank you for that chance that he has. And we pray that... Much would wire up and connect for them. They would be able to connect the dots through Scripture and, and know what you're doing in history. And also we, we ask that in the entire situations, these massive storms that have come in, uh, we thank you for your mercy in sparing Florida from the worst that could have been. And we also uh, think of those who are working so hard, people who are getting in trucks and going, thank you, Lord, for that uh, chance that we have. And we pray for grace for repair, for patience, for courage, for so many people in those circumstances. And now give us your spirit, your heart, and mind from your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start this new series. We've been in a series that was going through the the letters in the book of Revelation to discuss the idea of victory. And now this is kind of the next step. As we talked about it, Jim and I thought, well, you know what? The idea of victory and the idea of being called to victory also causes us to really consider things that are tough. They're neglected. We put that in the tagline here. They're neglected because they're complicated. They're difficult. And these are things like maturity. These are things like generosity, faithfulness. What did that mean? Uh, I have learned so much about that concept studying Hebrew. Believe it or not, it was so critical to what God had in mind. And then what we're going to look at today, which is pain and suffering. Did you know you were called to that? A lot of Christians in our culture, and this is actually spreading throughout the planet right now, believe that we are called from pain and suffering. And the truth is that the scripture paints a pretty clear picture that we're called for Pain and suffering. So, I'd really like for us to take a few moments and look at this today. It's a tough topic. It really is. But I'm hopeful that we can get through this issue of theodicy. Theodicy is a fancy word that is to describe how do we reconcile the goodness of God with pain and suffering in the world? How do we reconcile those two thoughts? something that's been going on for a very long time. I'm going to say a couple things right here. First of all, these are critical presuppositions. First of all, if God never saw pain and suffering coming, if this was a surprise, and we find ourselves in the contingency plan, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Actually, God's not God then. We have to acknowledge that. Second of all, if God saw it coming, but he didn't care how it affects people. And his idea was, this is how most of the gods in history in the pantheons were, were treated. They were mean, they were unpredictable and capricious, and we just do something just to keep them happy enough to keep from bugging us. If that's the reality with the God of the Bible, that's a big problem, because that's not the way he presents himself. He says over and over, he loves The entire history of the world. He cares. He's a a God who's patient and kind and long-suffering. And third of all this, and this one would actually be the worst news, by the way. If God steered clear of the problem of pain and suffering... Imagine this, imagine if Jesus would have come to be a human like you, like me, like people in his time frame, like the Jews who were before him, and all he did was walk around and say, don't get any of that pain on me. Keep that, keep that suffering, keep that over there. You guys, hey Peter, get over here, get that stuff out of here. I don't want anything to do with that. It would have changed everything, everything. Because what it would have sent us is the message that first of all, All the prophecies of the Old Testament about a suffering Messiah don't mean anything. Second of all, there's not really a solution for the sin problem because all of the atonement models and all of the solutions were based on serious pain and suffering. And third, and most importantly, it would have been a sense that, hey, there's just nothing you can do about it. I'm sorry. There's no purpose. There's meaning. In fact, pain and suffering is just worthless And it needs to be avoided at all costs. Jesus could have sent us that signal. He didn't. As you know, he jumped right in. He jumped right in. So what we're going to try to do today is think theologically about that. Jim and I talk about this often, but I just want to remind you. It'd be nice if there was a nice little packaged uh, scripture passage or something that just solved all the problems on this for us. That's not what happened. We've received a Bible that's given us information, but we need to look at all of that information. We need to, first of all, ask the right questions about pain and suffering. Make sure we're asking the correct questions, the important questions. We need to, second of all, glean what the Bible tells us and what church history and things have taught us in experience. Third of all, we need to say, okay, what are the options that would really be what have we learned here? What are the faithful outcomes of, a, of those two processes? And then fourth of all, be able to say, I think theologically this is what God has in mind with pain and suffering. If we can't get at that, we're literally going to have this as a trap. This is literally the greatest single trap for the atheist, the new atheist movement that exists How could a good God that you're describing allow pain and suffering in the world? Those two things don't line up. That's the trap. So we're going to look at some things here, thinking theologically. First of all, we are going to then get to this idea where I'm going to use the concepts of the categories of the hurricanes and see if we can't pick up a little bit about understanding the fact that not all pain and suffering is created equally. If you stop right there with me and you think about that thought all the rest of the sermon, I'm fine with that. You can, you can now check out. What is it? Is all pain and suffering equal? According to God, it absolutely is not. It's not, it, and I'm not trying to even get at the idea of the scope of it. If I say to you the Holocaust, I don't know what happens in your mind, six million Jews hits my head almost immediately. Like the scope of the Holocaust hits me. I say, Hurricane Irma, you think the scope of the impact of that, that's another trap because what we do is get caught in the weeds of, well, wait, all of this pain, all of these people, all of this trouble, all of these problems, and we miss what the point could possibly be. I'm actually going to try to take us in and consider cause and effect of pain and suffering. Cause, effect, There are clear ideas about the cause. They're different, the causes. And there's different effects of pain and suffering. That can help us settle out. I'm going to try to use the hurricane categories to help us sort this out to some degree. So our questions are this. How do we reconcile God's loving kindness with human happiness and and his desire for human happiness with pain and suffering? How do we reconcile those things? Second of all, if God is the kind of God who is aware of all of that and part of the process, do we find ourselves wanting to trust and love that God? That's a real question. Can we trust a God who thinks pain and suffering is meaningful? And third of all, here's the question What does everybody ask when they're in pain and suffering? What's the question? Why me? You all mouthed it, and everybody did it in the first service, too. That, interestingly, is only helpful in one category of pain and suffering. Why me? And in the two largest categories, it's not helpful at all. And yet we all ask it. Intriguing. Okay, we're going to look at some verses. Ryan's got some verses ready for us that we're going to scope through. If you would like to follow along in your Bibles, the the, uh, verses are down at the bottom. There's a paper Bible in front of you if you like reading the context around this. Genesis 3 says this. Now, when is this? This is five minutes into the Bible. Okay, we're Genesis chapter 3. This is the very beginning. God has put people, as the story is given to us, he's put them in a garden. Their circumstances are perfect. They've not made any bad decisions yet. God puts a tree in the garden and says, don't eat from it. Paul grabs that idea immediately in the book of Romans in his great argument and says, if there was no law, there would be no sin. Why? Because there would be no standard that you just broke. But God... Put a tree and a law, a commandment, in the very first scenario. And by the way, he knew exactly what they would do. He knew that. So we're going to see, as we're going along here, there's a possibility that God has something to do with this outcome. Okay, so here's what he says. To the woman, after they made the decision, as you know, and failed, he says, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. I felt really bad for Kristen Stevenson in the first service because she's due in about 20 minutes. And she's sitting back there. And I'm like, sorry, girl. That wasn't my fault. God made this declaration that pain is part of the equation, right? And to Adam, he said, curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. And eventually you're going to die. Now, does those seem, do those seem like they line up with eating a piece of fruit off of a tree? <laughs> the, the punishment doesn't seem to match the crime, but God knows actually what has happened here it is a breaking, and now it's a breaking of the actual covenant, and God knew that was going to happen. And pain was promised right out of the gate as a result of sin. We can remember that as one of the possibilities of what's going on with pain and suffering. It's an outcome. Look at this next verse in Deuteronomy. Uh, This is the very end of the story of the Jews wandering in the wilderness. They're getting ready to go into the land. And God says this, if you don't carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, remember the law. We can't have sin without the law. Then the Lord, look who's taking responsibility, and look what the outcome is. The Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters, severe and lingering illnesses, until you're destroyed. Does that sound like a loving God to you? Not if you don't understand what he's doing here. And what we tend to do is, of course, go, well, those guys deserve that. I don't know how many Christians I've had discussion about this that say, well, the Jews deserved it because they were terrible. Are we really better? Okay, so we've we've got to actually take this into account as one of the pieces of the puzzle that God sets some standards in place, and breaking that standard produces pain and suffering, illnesses lingering, severe disasters and destruction. It's in here. Psalm 13 says this, and this is more of the heart of what's happening, the experience. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How many of you have ever had any pain or suffering in your life? Anybody willing to admit it? Thank you, thank you. That's that's true. It's probably ubiquitous. Probably all of us have had at some level. Do you know this struggle with which the psalmist is writing? Not only do we do the why me, we go, God, where are you in my pain and suffering? And God is saying, I haven't forgotten about you. But we wrestle. David wrote this a 1,000 years before Jesus. This is three millennia ago. It's a very old deal that humans wrestle with pain and suffering. Another verse that will help us. People would love to strike this verse from Isaiah out of the Bible. It says this, I am the Lord, there's nobody else. Apart from me, you can't find a God. I will strengthen you. Now listen to the positive side of this. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So does that mean that every time we do something wrong, there's pain and suffering? Absolutely not. In fact, right here, he says, I'm the one who's going to even lift you up and encourage you and strengthen you while you are not obeying me. So it's not always as simple as it's always pain and suffering is a result of sin. Why? So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people will know that there's none besides me. It's not about you. It's about me. And then this next one, I'm the Lord. There's no other. I form the light and create darkness. You hear this great tensional system that exists in the universe between light and dark. And I bring prosperity and I create disaster. In the contrast, right in there. I'm going to illustrate it with light and dark. Don't ever forget when it rolls around and you see the sun again, it's a reminder that God builds these contrasts in as calling cards to us. And I bring prosperity and I bring disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Christians seem to have a problem with putting culpability on God when it comes to there being pain and suffering and disaster. God took the culpability himself. He's not afraid. He's not trying to dodge it. God said, I'm responsible for what's going on. So apparently, God cannot be just viewed as one who doesn't know, didn't see that one coming, or doesn't care. He's got something that's going on here. John chapter 16. Now, we would love to think in the New Testament and in the Gospels, we'd get all good news. Well, here's what Jesus said as he's wrapping up in his great uh, upper room discourse, or if they're out on the grounds, wherever. Jesus says, the time is coming, and in fact has come when you'll be scattered, each of you to your own home, you'll leave me all alone. Do you hear the division? Do you hear the loneliness in that? Do you hear the pain and the distraction and everything that's involved in that? Yet, I'm not alone, for my Father's with me, and I've told you these things, so that in me you'll have peace. Well, wait, I thought we were going to be disunified and alone, but now we have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. Oh, wait, so we're back to the bad news, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So in other words, does Jesus resolve the tension between good news and bad news, pain and suffering? and blessing of course he doesn't resolve it and he is about ready to literally walk away and walk to his death that's when that he says these words leaves the tension there knowing very well he's going to walk into it Romans 8 Paul says I consider this is one of those places where the word the English fails us the consider word here is the word where we get logic Logicain comes out of this in Greek. And Paul's idea here is not, oh, I just kind of take it to be, he's like, I have done the math on this. I have thought this through. I've done all of the weighing out. And I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us in some day. Is that what? You, by the way, if you've been in pain and suffering, is that your mindset, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, I'm like this is. How many times have you been called to a hospital and the person is like, you know, this is nothing because God's going to give me the glory. And we don't think this way, right? How does Paul get to this conclusion? What's going on that when Paul looks at pain and suffering, and he does the math and he says this is just a little. Nothing, and it's going to be great later. And then here's the last perspective I'm I'm going to give you on this right now. James, again it says consider in the English. That again is a little disappointing because the word actually is a military term that says go, make the command, say that this is what has got to be done, and make sure that that command is followed through. The word should actually be commandeer pure joy. Brothers and sisters, go make a commandment that says it's going to happen and then make sure that it's true. That's what James is saying. By the way, the letter is to all kinds of Jewish Christians, people who are trying to try out Christianity and see what this is all about, spread all over the Mediterranean. James says, hi, guys, commandeer pure joy, brothers, and sisters." this is the first sentence out of his mouth. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that this is going to produce something. So James knows that they're struggling. He knows that they're experiencing pain and suffering, persecution. And he says, there's a purpose. And the perseverance, when it's finished and goes all the way out, is the M word, mature, complete, not lacking anything. God is accomplishing something. It's part of his mission. Now, does that help you? You sort it all out. Can we just pray and go home? It isn't that simple, is it? It isn't. But what we're getting here, especially in the James passage where he says, with many kinds of trials and so forth, there's something to be learned here. We're going we're to take a look. I also want you to know in history that Rodney Stark has written a great book about the incipient church, the early church. And what, he's a sociologist who actually was doing his study to kind of debunk the whole early story of the church. And as often happens, he became a devoted follower as he studied the early church. Because he said what what they were all struggling with is, wait, I thought Jesus said he was coming back before all these people died, all these apostles. Now the apostles are dying, now what? And do you know that it was the martyrs that held the church together? It was the great fathers, Irenaeus and... Uh, Polycarp and so many, who literally were, were held up in this position of leadership comparable to the apostles. And because they did not abandon their faith, the early church said, huh. And they heard the idea that this is a chance for us to participate in the pain and sufferings that Jesus did, and that's the highest calling we could possibly have. And they actually saw this as an engine that's being fueled by pain and suffering. And as they go into the, into the first, second, third century afterwards, a lot of people don't realize the Black Plague was worse in the Roman Empire around the Mediterranean at that time than it was in Europe during the 15th, 16th century. And the Black Plague was killing people everywhere. What did the Roman leadership do? They got in boats and in planes. No, they didn't have planes. They got in boats and they said, we're out of here. If you are struggling with this, the last thing we're going to do is sit here and suffer with you. And the Christians came in behind, and they loved, and they encouraged, and they died with them. And over a period of time, it built traction among the people. And when you get to Constantine, when Constantine said, we're going to have Christianity be the, the religion of the empire, the people were, they couldn't wait for that to happen because of the Christians. The Christians in pain and suffering. Will and Ariel Durant are award-winning Nobel Prize authors who are also historians. Will Durant says the second most powerful motivation in history has been pain and suffering. It has changed more things about humanity. The only thing that's more powerful was the desire for other people's resources. (laughs) So we started wars. We did all kinds of things to go get the other people's stuff because we want their stuff, their women, their food, their land, their whatever else. But the second most powerful was the desire to affect a difference on pain and suffering. It is a huge motivator in history. So it gets us to this place. I hope you can actually hear these as kind of some outcomes of what we just read. First of all, God has an awful lot to do with pain and suffering. He's not separate from the issue. He's right in it. Second of all, God's people have wrestled with that issue for the entire time. From the garden on, we've struggled with that. It's not an easy solution for us. So you shouldn't feel... Marginalized because you struggle with pain and suffering. Of course you do. But God has something going on. And that's the third thing. Pain and suffering and human thriving and happiness are not mutually exclusive of each other. This is a big deal. That's the engine that drives the atheist belief, the the new atheist belief, Entire model that, well, if there was a God who loved us, then there could be no pain and suffering. They have taken pain and suffering and said it's a horrible, worthless, no good to be avoided things at all costs. And actually, the Scripture sends us all kinds of signals, including direct callings to be a part of suffering that says, no, these two things are not only useful, but they're not mutually exclusive. You can actually commandeer joy. In pain and suffering. And last, God's mission includes pain and suffering in redemptive ways. Baby steps have been made through history because of pain and suffering. We no longer accept slavery as the common norm because of pain and suffering. That was a good outcome. We no longer diminish women to a a place that's under men because of pain and suffering that moved us along. These are good things. So here's what I want to do. In a couple minutes, I want to grab these categories of hurricanes and and get you to consider that there's really three kinds of suffering. Three kinds. One of them is the most common, and that is general brokenness as a result of being in a broken world. It's an outcome that happens to everybody. Most suffering is like this. Most disease is like this. Most hurricanes that come rolling in and volcanoes and all the rest of the massive destructions, they're part of living in a place where there's brokenness. There's a second kind. The second kind is consequences of sin. That is a very obvious and critical part that pain and suffering is a result of. And the third kind is actually the kind that shows up the, the newest, and that is out of... Faithful persecution. That's the kind that the New Testament talks about, about aligning with Christ. All pain and suffering does not equal the same as the pain and suffering of Christ on the cross or of the apostles. It's pain and suffering that's directly related to a faith system. And it's everywhere in our world, but we don't experience much of it here. We can be grateful but it is definitely those three things. Now, here's what I think. I think that the first category general brokenness has accomplished the most in the world. It's a Cat 5. And not just because of scope That's part of it. But actually, God has actually done things. Think about Israel and Egypt. Do you remember the story when they were put in? God promised, said to Abraham, oh, by the way, I'm going to make a big nation out of you, bless all the nations of the world out of you. Oh, but by the way, your people are going to go into slavery for four centuries. Right? This is not a direct result of their sin. This is not a direct result of anything that we can tell other than God is going to use chaos to bring about creation and life. And he brings them out and makes them a people. Was that fair? No. You wouldn't think so if you were one of them who died walking around in the wilderness, right? Or all the centuries before that. But... It is important. God is still gives us an opportunity to serve marginalized people that we could never get in any other format. No other format creates this opportunity. Unless people are marginalized, unless they're affected by some kind of a massive event, unless they're held down, no one else can come in and pick them up. There'd be no contrast. If we're all the same... It sounds great, right? Absolute, egalitarian, across-the-board equality. Sounds spectacular. But think of all the things that disappear if that happens. No service. No love. Love only makes sense when something is unlovable. If everything is equally lovable, love doesn't even have any meaning to it. This is how God put it together. A cat three, if you will, would be the, the consequences of sin. And I think of this, yes, it is to do with scope, but it's also what God has accomplished. Uh, he's accomplished a lot of things as a result of this. Now, you would say, well, it feels mean. Actually, God is doing it. First of all, it's definitely a calling card to consider God. Second of all, it's an opportunity to repent, to be humbled, turn around and go the other direction. Ooh, I'm glad that landed on the carpet. (laughs) Go go the other direction instead of maintaining that sin. It's an opportunity. There's no other way that that could happen unless there was a consequence that we felt for the sin. If there was no negative consequence, why would we ever quit sinning? It, It is simply reasonable that that's what that mechanism does. Consider Israel and Babylon. They clearly disobeyed God. He clearly sent them into captivity in Babylon. Daniel, who was a kid when he left his home, goes into Babylon. And Daniel chapter 9 is one of the most beautiful repentant passages. As Daniel says, we failed you, God. We were wrong. And Daniel had nothing to do with it. It also is part of that mindset, that humility is part of why Daniel is one of the greatest men talked about in the Bible. The third category, probably a Category 1 because of the scope, but also what God has actually done, is the persecution for actual faithfulness and the pain and suffering that comes part of that. Part of that is because of this. What's our response supposed to be? Our response is not supposed to be retribution, fight back, litigation, all the things that we would like to do, Our response is supposed to be, rejoice. That's the way it's designed. If you have ever met someone who is a persecuted person for their faith, I had the great, great blessing of being in the life of Georgie Vins, who was a pastor during the Soviet Union days, who was sent to Gulag's, in Siberia, 17 different times through his ministry as a pastor. And they would get him and bring him back. And he'd go preach and they'd send him back. They'd get him and bring him. They finally, he was part of a spy trade during the, year, the early Reagan years and made it to the United States. And I felt like I was looking the Apostle Paul in the eye. <laughs> Why? What kind of heroism could ever come from any other situation than one like that? That's a hero. That is a hero. A person who literally says, my faith in Christ is more important to me than my life. Think of Israel under the boot of Rome. They were not necessarily being punished for something, but they were definitely held in persecution. Jesus walked into that. Jesus never resolved the issue. He never got rid of the Romans. That's what they wanted him to do. He said, I'm not going to get rid of Rome. And in fact, Rome ends up wiping Jerusalem off the map. Persecution. Now, you'd say to yourself, well, what are my deals? What are my opportunities? First of all, repent, rejoice, or reconcile. If you've got these opportunities, do something with them. But I can tell you this. I think the greatest litmus test for you You may never be able to sort out what kind of pain and suffering it is, by the way. Your first question might be smart to ask if it's sin. That would probably be the clearest answer for you or maybe your nation or your community. Beyond that, it's hard to tell. The persecution probably is clear, but sometimes we misinterpret that. So can we sort it all out? No, not always. But I would suggest we ask first, is there sin involved? Repentance is what I should do. Is this punishment for in persecution way? Rejoicing is what I should do. And if it's general brokenness, then I need to get about reconciliation and repair. I need to get after that. And here's your greatest litmus. In the last passage, this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The authors, by the way, had a very strong propensity for writing about pain and suffering in the first five sentences of their letters. It's happened often. Praise be to God, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you'll share in our comfort. What's the key word? (laughs) Comfort, right? The real litmus test is how do you receive when pain and suffering happens? Do you receive comfort from the Holy Spirit? Do you trust God? Do you get mad at God? Do you stay there, stay mad? Do you receive it from other people, push them away? Do you stay there or do you receive and then hardest step do you dispense comfort do you allow your circumstances which were hard do you allow them to give you insight understanding wisdom an ability to actually see and empathize and sympathize and be a part of the story and enter in and then you go and dispense your comfort to others because Paul is really clear That's the great economy of pain and suffering, is comfort. And that's how you know you've been called and you're on the road to victory. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, are grateful to you as we consider all of this. We do thank you for, first of all, the pain and suffering of Christ, which gave so much insight. And second of all, the the stories, the narratives that hold together through the entire Bible as we hear uh, of the pain and suffering, but then you accomplishing your mission. Thank you for that. Help us to consider, help us to think. All of us will have some level of pain and suffering across the journey of our lives. And we're called to do that well, in a healthy way, faithfully, faithfully and with comfort received and comfort given. Thank you for this very difficult topic, but for one that literally is foundational for what we think of you and how we believe that you are working in the world. Thank you. We give ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.